You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Eivind Ried, the CEO at Whereby. One, one of my investors actually said to me one day that, Eivind, we need to grow your balls. All right, it's time again for a new episode of the SaaS Nordic podcast. And we have had some busy weeks the last few weeks, Daniel, haven't we? Yes, yes, we've had uh, a couple of uh, few big announcements, very big for us. We've had the announcement about the different uh, networks in different disciplines. Absolutely. So we have a CEO network. So if you are a CEO of a Nordic SaaS company, B2B SaaS company, you will be able to join others and you will be uh, in different groups depending on what phase you're in. But if you're in another executive position, maybe you work with customer success or product or marketing, there is also groups for you. So head over to sasnordic.com and apply now. Right. But another thing even bigger even bigger even bigger yesterday i think and i hope all of you guys saw it we announced that we're doing sassiest 2022 in person in april here in sweden where we welcome the entire sas nordic community to mingle share have a lots of fun for two jam-packed days. It's going to be a lot of fun, right, Thomas? Yeah, and we're going to make sure to have a great roster of speakers. Maybe you remember Celsius 2021. We have 46 speakers of different disciplines, and we're going to make sure that we have a really good setup this year as well. So, But also, if you have any suggestions on topics, on speakers, please reach out to us as well. And then in the evening, we're going to, as you put it, Party like it's 1999. Party like it's 99. Looking forward to it, and I hope we, we get to see all of you there as well. Absolutely. And um, some people call this the Sester of the Nordics. Uh, we're going to put our own spin to it and it's going to be great fun. So see you then. Today we are very happy to have Eivind Red, the CEO at Whereby, as a guest here in the SAS Nordic podcast. So welcome, Eivind. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you for uh, having me. It's great to have you here, Eivind. And for, for the ones that don't know Eivind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Yeah, so um, been working now in the video industry for actually close, coming up on 12 years. Um, I have a commercial background, so I started my career uh, early as a sales rep. It's the only way, right? Indeed, that's what I say as well. <laughs> I see Thomas is laughing a little bit. Thomas, you couldn't help it. No, but I also started out in sales. Oh, you did? Yeah. And it's, it's a great starting point. It is indeed. And here we are. Very good. And so, yeah, so, so for me, it was a great way to learn um, how to engage with people, uh, understand what uh, the needs are and how to, in, to interact with different sets of people and, and to find common ground. So I did that for a few years, uh, was promoted to a VP of sales in a company that I worked for before making the shift into technology back in 2010 when I joined uh, a very early startup uh, called Video Noor, uh, which is sort of like what has led to whereby today, but it's been a, a long journey. So in 2011, 
I took over as the CEO there and have uh, built this company ever since. So it's it we're starting on a decade long journey and it feels like we only started uh, a few weeks ago. Okay, video nor it sounds almost like Telenor. Yeah, it's very creative, right? Uh video from the north. Uh it's uh, looking back at it, we should definitely have been a bit more creative on that name, but it it did serve a purpose for a while. So uh one 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 for improvement next time. Okay, so what else could you tell us about your company today? What do you do? What is the value you bring? Yeah, so Whereby Today is an extremely easy to use uh, video calling platform. So what we're famous for is uh, that ease of use, uh, how easy it is to connect, no need to download, no need to register a user, you just click and um, the video piece uh, opens in a browser. Um, we basically have two products that we're famous for uh, today. Uh, one is what we refer to as Whereby Meetings, uh, which is our customer-facing um, service uh, that you probably have seen as well. We've even used it. You have? Yes. Awesome stuff, mm-hmm. right? Keep using it, please. And uh, <laughs> it's all about that uh, delightful experience for the user and, and making sure that video fatigue is kept at uh, a minimum. But recently, we've also seen tremendous growth in uh, what we refer to as Whereby Embedded, where we allow other companies to take our platform and embed it into their own applications and workflows. So imagine um, customer, uh, sorry, a patient doctor consultation, for instance. We can take care of running all that uh, for uh, a customer of ours so they can focus on building the core parts of their product. Okay, so you embed your solution into other services. Yes, so what that leads to is the low total cost of ownership uh, for uh, our customers. Uh, They can brand uh, and put their own coloring on it. So what it actually does is to keep the users on their own platform rather than moving them to Zoom or moving them to Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts or slash Google Meet. Okay, so is that your ideal customer nowadays, the ones that want to embed your technology? Yeah, that product has seen tremendous growth and it's uh, a very interesting market because it's quite immature compared to the traditional video conferencing market uh, where we have a lot of competition, as you can imagine, from the likes of Zoom and, and Google and Microsoft. Whereas this part of the market is uh, expected to grow massively over uh, the next uh, few years. And as you can imagine, this has all largely been driven by the pandemic where customer facing engagement will now need to have a digital alibi and not just be something that is offered to a select few. So imagine yourself right now, it feels very strange to think I need to travel for an hour and go into my bank and have a conversation with my uh, advisor, right? You would much rather have the ability to do that over video. Yeah. We're going to go more into your history and journey in a little while. Uh, We did the mistakes, by the way, when we had our first call with you sending you a Teams link. You weren't very happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just share a a few things on that? So so, uh, it won't take too long. But um, we are currently being sort of like tracked and and, uh, targeted by a lot of investors. Uh, and one of the things I love is when they put together how much they love whereby, how much they love what we're doing, and they're so keen to learn more. And then they finish. Would you mind if we set aside 30 minutes to get to know each other over Zoom? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Do you answer them the same way you answered us? Uh, no, needless to say, because I like you guys. So I just uh, answered you, uh, although a bit sort of like ironically, but for the ones that send me an email like that, it goes straight to trash. I can tell you it goes right in the bin because that to me says, 
realized that the investor hasn't spent enough time um, to actually get to know us and understand. And right. if they don't put in that kind of effort, um, like we have to, we have to get a level playing field when it comes to companies and founders uh, and versus the investors, right? And so it's up to us to actually also help educate them and say, no, not good enough. Uh, this meeting is not happening. Absolutely. We have some ideas of having pitching contests for investors instead for SaaS companies. So uh, that could be something for the future. And uh, I hope the investors out there listen very carefully because if you want to have a piece of whereby... Don't use tips. <laughs> no, <laughs> it simply won't work. Uh, hey, uh, so tell us a little, little bit about whereby in in numbers. Like, how big are you guys? What's what's your ARR? How quickly and fast are you growing? Yeah. So, uh, as you can imagine, we saw tremendous growth during the the pandemic, yeah. right? So the company basically went from roughly two million dollars in ARR to hovering right around ten today, um, and that happened very very quickly. Th- that's a nice growth. It's very, very nice, right? But it also comes with a lot of scaling uh, issues um, and a lot of challenges around that side. So working through those while maintaining the growth is 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 uh, is a challenge and an interesting challenge for sure. Yeah. Um, we are 110 people today, um, and we are a remote first company. So that means that we have people all over uh, the world. Um, we care greatly about flexibility and allowing our people to work when it's a good time for them. We understand and appreciate that some are parents and need to pick up in kindergarten or be there when the kids are home from school to prep dinner and send them off to uh, football practice. But we also recognize that some are younger, uh, don't like working from uh, early in the morning, but prefer to start a little later in the day. We care about the quality of work rather than uh, what time you're sort of like doing the job that we expect you to do. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And um, how many customers do you have today and where are your customers geographically based? Yeah, so on on the meetings platform, we have 25,000 paying users today. Um, We have over 5 million active monthly users. So that's a very sort of product-led growth scenario where um, uh, the users are coming to our website or hearing it from others and they sign up and they get started. Um, Whereas on the embedded side, which is a more a B2B uh, sales model for now, uh, we have roughly 300 paying customers. Okay. So for both products, it's actually quite a nice chunk of, uh, although fundamentally different in how they consume the product. Right. And when it comes to the consumer side, when is the tipping point where you need to start to uh, pay for your service? Yeah. So there are actually a couple of things. One is the traditional where uh, if you're on the free version, you can do as many calls as you like up until 45 minutes. Is there any particular reason that is above 40? Yeah. Might be other services that only have 40, right? <laughs> Five minutes more than Zoom, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny when, when we, do, we do tests and we try to, to understand what that looks like, right? But at, this, at, this, at, at one point, you just have to decide that, okay, let's do it five minutes uh, more than Zoom, right? Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's definitely um, something that you have to put in place um, because hosting a video service is quite costly. Um, 
we so but we want to have the free version be as good as it can be uh, but then only up to a certain limit right because it does cost us quite a lot of money to host a global service um, that has the same quality in australia as it does in stockholm or in the us for instance yeah 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 and we're going to talk about that uh, the go-to-market and the product in, in just a few seconds so how did you uh, fund this journey so far have you raised external capital and how much yeah, so uh, we have a bit of a strange story compared to what I would call a traditionally VC-backed and, and, and uh, a traditional journey from that sense. Um, yeah. So I can take that all the way back to, to when we started. But uh, today, we really haven't raised a lot. We uh, brought in some angel investors in 2020 um, that mostly actually did secondaries, uh, for early stage, uh, investor that then transitioned off the cap table. And how much of the business do you own today? Uh, I'm not allowed to share that actually. Uh, I own enough to make it interesting for me, but it's <laughs> actually a good point to note that we haven't traditionally been, uh, uh, call it a founder-led company where the founder has a massive chunk of, of uh, the company based on how many near-death experiences this company has had when we've gone through our journey. Um, we have uh, quite a lot of the uh, employees have uh, equity in the company. Mm -hmm. um, and um, my chunk is on the lower side of what you would expect uh, rather than the, the higher side. But that also leads to some very good dynamics uh, for me and my executive team, for instance, where we have uh, we're in this together and we're building this company together with all the other colleagues of ours uh, rather than me being like a, a a crazy solo founder that gets my will every time i don't yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> but let's examine those near-death experiences a, a little bit so could you start telling us about the first one yeah. What happened? So uh, I, I think one of the reasons why I want to share this is that we, we hear about all the companies that just take off like a rocket ship, right? And everything points up and to the right constantly. Hopin being probably the one, the most famous one now in, 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 in Europe, where basically gone from um, multi-billion dollar valuation in, in just a year and a half and from five to 900 employees, I believe, in, in the course of 18 months, which is, <laughs> it's just so insane on so many levels but i don't think that's what most entrepreneurs and founders and ceos uh, get to uh, expect it's much more challenging than that and we have a history that is based on basically just resilience and perseverance and so like never say die kind of mentality and attitude so that's why i wanted to share this so the first one was Back in uh, 2011, um, when we had uh, the very creative word uh, or the name Videonor uh, as, our, as our company, but where we grew quite quickly um, in the first couple of years. So we came, became profitable already a year and a half into the company and started making rather big surpluses. Uh, and our thinking at the time was that we should have taken on external capital at the time because the market was really, really ready for something that we offered. And so rather than being too cautious, we should have accepted uh, external capital and gone bigger much faster than we actually did. Because the capital that we could reinvest into R&D wasn't nowhere near enough to keep up with the competition that was moving uh, around us. And was this because 
you guys made a conscious decision that this is how we want to run it and bootstrap it? Or was it because there wasn't enough uh, interested external capital in this idea at that time? What was the reasoning? At that time, uh, Daniel, it was very much uh, a decision from us, a conscious decision to uh, wanting to bootstrap it because we were expecting these uh, sort of like profits to just keep going up. Uh, and, and that's where for us, I like I have tremendous respect for people that bootstrap and build their companies like that's an extremely challenging thing to do. And so I have massive respect. I think it greatly depends on what business you're in and how the market is evolving. Because at the time we started, all the big players started to see that there is an, uh, a possibility here as well, right? So looking back, that's the reason why we should have said we need to raise capital now to capitalize on the head start that we have rather than think that we can do this uh, basically purely on our own profits. So just wanted to, to make that clear that bootstrapping a company is an extremely honorable way of doing it. Uh, but for us, it really wasn't possible and we should have done it differently. Okay, but let's move on to the second near-death experience. So what happened after that? You you didn't get the VC capital and uh, what was your next move and where did you end up? Yeah, so what we then decided to do uh, was that the only way we could continue to scale at the pace that we wanted to um, was to uh, take our service to the US, right? And this was this was back in 2014. Uh, so things were actually quite a bit different. There wasn't too many sort of like product-led growth companies at the time. That was a playbook that wasn't really out there. Uh, so one way of scaling was to establish a company uh, in the US, uh, send, uh, in our case, me over to uh, establish our office and our beachhead, and then uh, start building out our partner network uh, in the US. Uh, so we did tons and tons of market research, felt like we were incredibly well prepared uh, to do this. Uh, and our entire US operations was a complete disaster. Um, one of my investors said that, Ivan, I think you've just taken the most expensive MBA known to mankind. And I, I, I have to agree. And I mean, you're still here, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is a really good point that and I'll take that into the next part because, yeah, sure. again, it comes back to that resilience, right? And, and using what you learn for something positive rather than letting that define us. Yeah. So I have a story on, on that as well. But when we we completely underestimated the need to have enough capital. Mm. So we spent roughly $2 million uh, trying to uh, penetrate the US market. And when I talk to VCs and other companies that have gone into the US and they say, well, 2 million, like you can't even open an office for that kind of money, right? For us, it felt like a tremendous part and a tremendous amount uh, at the time. Again, looking back, uh, naive in, 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 in our approach. Yeah. Um, what we learned there, though, was some key learnings that put us on the path to where we're at today and which has led to uh, now being on the path of building a very successful company was that our business model didn't really scale. Our costs associated with bringing in a, a new customer kept walking a line with the revenue growth. And obviously, as an investor or as a business builder, that is not what you want to see. Mm -hmm. And I was also quite put off by this thinking of scaling purely through partners, right? Scaling through others, relying on a third party. For us, we really couldn't crack that code. I know some companies that have been very successful doing that and, and kudos to them. But we wanted to take that back and own more parts of it. So 
coming out of the US that was a key learning. So those two things actually set us up on the path to uh, start working together what, what, what would eventually lead to, to, to whereby. But it's a funny part when, when I came home from the US, uh, I moved home in, the, in 2018, full of um, bad feelings around having failed but full of experiences that I knew we could use, right? So rather than say, okay, we're just going to flush this uh, investment down the toilet, let's use what we've learned and 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 think uh, again. And I remember almost landing with my luggage at hand at Gardamuen in Oslo uh, and calling straight to my investors and say, hey, I just messed up this part in the US, but now I have another idea and it's just going to cost us double the amount of money. (laughs) And I remember one of them said, uh, Jesus Christ, Ivan, could you please just land and get uh, get settled before you have a new idea that you want (laughs) to sell us? So it's it's part of that learning and part of that resilience that I think has kept us uh, going for, for such a long time. Yeah, and I have a question on that. So, is the U.S. operation is it uh, still up and running? It, it exists. Yeah, and and now far more successful based on the changes that we did uh, when we were fortunate enough to be introduced to the team at uh, a pair in. Um, so, a pair in and Videonor is uh, is basically what has led to whereby. So, happy to touch on that. But yeah, it just shows that that company is still up and running. Uh, our largest market today is the U.S. Right. Um, so. Looking back at it, uh, those $2 million that we invested at the time now looks like uh, the bargain of a century. Um, but it, it, it didn't feel like that when I had to pack my bags and move home. But when you were in the US, it was still Videonor? Yes, that's correct. Okay, yeah. And, and the question there, you mentioned that your product didn't scale. Um, so was that due to your price model or to uh, technology or technology thomas so okay. the issue yeah. was that we had a technology offering at the time that required too many external inputs if i can call it that so for every license that we sold we had to pay a fee to a third party mm. uh, and we didn't own our own tech stack completely which made it really really difficult to get to the profit margins that we would be happy with and obviously would lead to uh, an investor being interested in in diving into the to the to the case so uh, it was quite clear that that was a huge blocker for our future growth right you also mentioned that the partner model not being ideal uh, what type of partners did you have were they reseller type of partners or some other type of partners yeah so these were mostly resellers so what we would do was that we would train them on our product suite we would uh, tell them how to sell the product uh, they would then go to their customers um, and um, sell it um, and then the end user would be given a license from us to do video conferencing basically Uh, There are multiple things with that from a commercial perspective that makes it difficult. But partly the thing that I've learned more than anything was that it also removes us so far from the end user that the feedback loop is completely destroyed. Uh, It doesn't almost exist because it would be filtered through an IT director from a user to an IT director at the customer, led back to the salesperson at the reseller, who then fed it back to our team to improve, right? That is an extremely long and complicated feedback loop, uh, which is one of the reasons why I loved what I found at the team with a pair.in at the time, which had 
so close access to the end user that any change you made would give very valid feedback within 24 hours. So how did you uh, find each other from uh, Vidunor and Appearin? Yeah, it's such a it's such a stroke of luck <laughs> thinking back on it, and it just shows how how random um, the business world uh, can be, to be honest. But so it's a Tinder date. Yeah, uh, it, it it very much was, and and a, a it, successful one. Yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> su- successful, I I might add, and uh, it was um, based. So here's the story. Um, I was uh, on the board of a company where uh, one of the other board members knew Ingrid, who uh, was running a pair.in at the time uh, and was the CEO there. Um, so they knew each other. And when I introduced myself in this very first uh, meeting, he asked me, uh, hey, do you know Ingrid with a pair-in and have you ever met her? And I said, no, I haven't, but I would love to because I've heard great things about their technology and about her specifically. So I would love to get an introduction. Uh, so he set that up um, and we spoke, uh, we were set to speak 30 minutes the first time we met. I think we spent three hours and just perfectly aligned around how we see the market moving forward. How could we take something that is deeply opinionated on the user journey and the user experience uh, and taking the best of that part and then the commercial acumen that the team at Videonor had how could we build that into something really strong together and unite the forces behind it? And funnily enough, at the same time, Telenor, who was then the full uh, and sole owner of a pair in, were looking to spin that company out. And how we managed to get that transaction across the goal line and and and, and start working together is is almost worth a book in itself. Um, but it's uh, again tons of ups and downs, a roller coaster of emotions and. If we, we could have given up three or four times, uh, but neither Ingrid nor I wanted to give up and we really wanted this to happen and eventually we were able to. And then I guess um, you must have been very affected when Corona hit. Yes. Company like, like you. Absolutely. So could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so absolutely game changing, right? Um, we have always had with um, one of the things we did was that we rebranded, um, call it Videonor and Appearin into Whereby. Uh, so one common brand, one common name. Uh, we united all our best resources behind that uh, purpose. And uh, one of the things that we care deeply about is that word of mouth uh, piece that 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 spreads our product. Right, people share the link, they share uh, their experience on the platform with others, and they said, "Hey, you need to check this out. It's a great tool." Uh, and that's how we 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 continue to grow. Um, and so, what happened during the pandemic? And it's it looking back, it's almost interesting. We can almost follow our growth when different countries went into lockdown mode. So everything changed for us on the 25th of February. That's when our server started cranking like uh, <laughs> nothing else. And, and traffic, I believe, was up 30x Wow! Uh, over the course of the yeah, like, like scaling through the roof. And every single hour, every single day, we went back and said, how could we do this amount of volume, both from a revenue perspective, to be honest, but also from a pure usage perspective. So every time we thought this must be the peak, it just doubled again the, the next hour. Um, and, and that puts a huge strain on an organization. At the time, we were around 25 people. 
So everyone was pitching in over the weekends, uh, answering support tickets. Our backlog at the time for support uh, cases, like we weren't scaled to handle that kind of volume at all. Like, how can you prepare for a pandemic? Right? There was, <laughs> that is impossible. Cl- clearly, not even the governments could. So it's understandable. No, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. So, uh, and and I to be fair, if you build a startup and you and you prepare and scale in terms of um, hitting a pandemic, then I think you're probably prioritizing the wrong things, to be honest. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so so again, what happened was that we saw a huge increase in traffic as the Asian countries started to lock down. And then that moved into when uh, Europe started to go into lockdown. And then eventually the US caught up and, and they started going in as well. And almost to the hour, you could see in the different geographies how much traffic was being consumed. So it was clear at the time that there was just a massive need for people to be connected to each other when they were suddenly all moved to the to the home office, right, and working from home scenario. Right. Sounds like a success story. Uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> to us uh, managing all this at the time uh, felt uh, extremely exciting, obviously, right, but also overwhelming. So I, I can't thank my team enough for putting in the hours that we needed to and making sure that uh, I'm hugely excited and, and impressed with them that we didn't have any downtime um, during this period because that volume such as this could easily crumble um a service and take it down, right? Because you're not prepped for it. But our team and our infrastructure team had done an amazing job of of making sure that this would scale um, when that amount of users came on in, in a very short period of time. SAS Nordic is growing, and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer community on Slack. My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager, and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate, and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com. We can't wait to have you on board. So, I mean, you described a little bit what, what happened then in the beginning of the pandemic and when it uh, rise across the world. So, um, what has happened during the years? Has it been uh, the same levels all the time or what, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question, right? And, and what we, looking back at it now, uh, and keep in mind, everything was so new when all this happened that it was almost impossible to start thinking what will the next steps look like? What will be sort of like the result of this pandemic, right? You had multiple new lockdowns that played into our numbers, et cetera, et cetera, right? But one trend that we started seeing was that the more the IT departments uh, for different companies around the world started to feel like they had things under control, we started to see that it was increasingly difficult for us to remain uh, the number one choice for customers because the IT department would go in and say, well, we are already paying for Microsoft uh, team licenses, which is massive in Europe, for instance, or right. you saw the growth of Zoom, right? They became the household names and, and, and the verb uh, to Zoom someone, right? So so it became the, the standard um, during this time. So for us, it became increasingly difficult as a tiny company. Like keep in mind, we're fighting against some of the largest uh, tech companies in the world here. Uh, and the likes of Google and Microsoft have done an amazing job, in my opinion, of improving uh, their services, right? So it's it's clear that they have invested a lot of time and effort uh, into it. 
because it's such a core part of their strategy moving forward. I, I just saw Microsoft uh, start talking about the metaverse as well, same as Facebook, right? So it, it's clear that they are dumping. Will we meet whereby in the metaverse as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they forced their arm. They had to. It, it's funny. We've had some discussions on this internally, right? And, 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 and some feel like this whole notion around the metaverse is uh, a distraction in the sense. And, and I think you'll see a lot of people fighting it just because don't try and make that kind of experience seem like a human experience because I don't think you'll get there. Um, this is just my opinion, but we're obviously looking at that and discussing where our position should be in this moving forward. Yeah. But the, the, what started happening then is that it became increasingly difficult for us to get on the calendar. And that's the one thing that we've noticed uh, that owns uh, sort of like which platform is being chosen um, to, 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 to start a video call, right? So if you are using uh, Office 365, it is so easy and convenient now to just schedule that with a Microsoft Teams link. Yeah. Um, if you're a Google house, um, like we are, for instance, right? We use the, the Google suite for a lot of our collaboration tools. That link to join uh, a Google Meet call is just so prominent uh, that it's difficult. Uh, so what we have seen is that we love all those millions of users that we have, and they are perfect for us because we get feedback so fast on how we can improve, what are things that we are missing from a feature perspective. And then we take all of that learning and all of that research and understanding, and we bake that into more what I would call our enterprise product, um, where we allow, like I mentioned, others to, to take our platform and just use it as their own, rather than uh, trying to fight with uh, Microsoft and Google head-to-head in open battle. Like, we have to be smarter. We're a smaller company. We have to be wise. We have to be... uh, We have a a value at Whereby, which is outwit and outgrit. And that goes exactly into this, right? We have to be smarter about how we deploy our resources. Right, right. I mean, and you've had an an amazing journey here. And like you said, like, it's it's a real-life... MBA and, and granted that some of the challenges that you were f- facing were very specific to your business but looking back at this journey and if you would give advice to uh, other people that are you know on their startup journey is there any piece of advice you'd give them I think based on my experience what I would say is don't read too much about what everyone else is doing and thinking that you will be able to copy that specifically. Like you have to brace yourself. You have to be prepared for dealing with tons and tons of ambiguity. You have to be able to make decisions on less than perfect uh, data. Um, you have to prepare yourself that this is uh, a marathon. And it sounds it's so, it sounds so basic because that's a lot of a lot of founders and operators will say that, right? That 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 is something you have to prep for. So it might not be uh, revolutionary advice coming from my side, but I think that's what you have to you have to really really uh, prep for. I think sometimes we have a tendency to romanticize, if that's the word, uh, what working and being at a startup is all about. Uh, I think it's important that we also tell people that that is extremely challenging and it's not for everyone. Right. You have to live with ambiguity. And I'm keen for also us when we hire people that we talk them through this, that if you're used to a system and a process that guides everything that you're trying to do, a startup is never going to work out for you. Right. Because you're constantly having to shift 
resources around, you have to change priorities, you have to adapt to a market that is moving at a pace now that is faster than anything I've ever seen. Yeah. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to handle that level of ambiguity, you really shouldn't be uh, trying to build your own company uh, and you really shouldn't be uh, working at a startup because there is a certain part of ambiguity that will always be part of uh, that journey. I, I don't think that that's going to change until we maybe one day when we IPO or something, but um, that is that, that is a, a, a long way off yet. Right. I, I was about to say that and you should uh, get a job with, in the Norwegian oil, oil industry, but that's not safe either these days. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, granted that that's... Uh, and it's a funny, like we're now seeing more and more people actually leaving that business to to join more startups which is also a good thing for the norwegian ecosystem um but people need to realize that it might not being at a startup might not be as romantic and and um and, and cool as you think so i think having an open mind um and then sorry one more thing daniel on that is just like i said like never ever give up and again it sounds like such a cliche but you you will be like I can tell you, the week before last was one of the most fun weeks that I've had building this company because we had a hackathon. I was seeing so many fantastic things starting to materialize. And this week has probably been one of the most draining that I've seen. All the things that I thought were amazing uh, two weeks ago was a problem this week, right? So you have that roller coaster ride and you have to be able to deal with that and put it to the side and um, just in a way embrace that that's part of the journey right easier said than done yeah so we hope the podcast here is is you know giving you a better end of the week since it's friday <laughs> now <laughs> i love this at the end of the week that's perfect <laughs> okay super but what is in the future for your company now uh, maybe growth maybe some vc companies not using teams uh... yeah so what we are doing right now is that we will be um uh, fundraising uh, for call it this new path uh, of ours so we really want to focus on working with um, even from the investor side right I care deeply about finding the right partners uh, for us because I know and I've seen we we've been fortunate enough to work with 0.9 capital for instance uh, and I'm couldn't be happier about how we chose them and and the way we've worked together and the value add that they have towards what we're doing right and I look for that as well when looking at our next uh, round of investment. Who are the ones that actually bring value? Again, sounds like a cliche, but it's easy to be caught up in valuations and so on. And then you end up choosing the wrong partners. Right. This is a marathon. Uh, it will take time. We will see ups and downs. We want to work with the companies or the investors that know how to get through this, that will be there to support us uh, when we need them and can offer something more than just capital. So we want to put uh, a lot of emphasis on this new market, this new emerging market that comes around digitizing all the customer facing engagements that we have been used to doing in person. They now need a digital space uh, in the future. And uh, we really want to double down on those efforts moving forward. Right. So. If, if you would be concrete about it, because we, we do have a good chunk of uh, VC folks listening to this pod. So besides their money, yeah, what are the top three things they need to have to, to be able to attract you? Very good question. So um, the top three things. So I believe one of the key things that I have found that is game-changing uh, is the ability to help attract the right set of talent. 
Yep. Um, for, for me, I can say that when we have hired parts of our executive team, I've used the team at Point Nine Capital to help along the process, even doing them as part of the interview process. That to me is hugely valuable because one of the problems with being um, a founder, if you're if you're young and inexperienced, uh, is that you don't know what great looks like. Right. If that makes sense, right? You know what good looks like, but when you meet people that are just effing awesome, the people that will actually take you to the next level because they've done this before, they know how to do it, they come with a playbook. That is mind blowing, right? Because you can then basically give them the responsibility of running a sales department or running a marketing function or running your engineering team. And you can feel like that is in very capable hands and much more capable hands than your own, right? That leads to the, the classic imposter syndrome, right? Where you have to understand that I'm fortunate enough to run this company, but I need to rely on people that are 10 times smarter than me to actually get us to the level where we need to be. So building, uh, sort of like providing input and helping you close fantastic candidates, I think is a, is a massive part of this. Right. Uh, secondly, I would say challenge uh, the business with good intentions, right? Every discussion, every decision we make should be up for debate and it should be challenged. The best investors have a way of doing that while at the same time being supportive. I don't want them to be just yes people uh, that say, well, even you got this. Uh, no, like we have tons of things that we can improve on. Everything from pricing to your go-to-market uh, strategy, there is always uh, a lot to learn. And my experience has been that when you get to work with the best investors, the aggregated knowledge they have is what makes it useful. Right. You don't need to listen to their advice every single time but it gives you great input to help you make the right decision yeah so that's the that's the second one uh thirdly um i think for us it's about also working with the 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 investors that recognize that we are a full company it's not just about me as the ceo so the ones that give value to my teammates, for instance. Uh, again, I love the, the point nine model where they have a Slack community that is very engaged, where people in my team can go and ask questions and get help and input from other operators almost immediately. Right? That is tremendously valuable. So rather than us spending a huge amount of time going through um, intros and meetings over meetings to find the right person to talk to, suddenly you have 10 people that are willing to give you input over the next uh, 48 hours because time is always uh, the essence, right? Time, like it's always the number one resource. You want to optimize for time. Mm. So investors that are on point when you need them, um, that are willing to go the extra mile uh, and spend time when it's urgent, I think is, is crucial. And it's great that there's a SaaS Nordic community where you can reach thousand peer-to-peers. I love it. Like, <laughs> make a plug, guys, because that's a shameless plug. Because like, what you are doing is so important because this is what we're lacking in, in the Nordics, right? Is that we are building an ecosystem and all parts are relevant to make it this beating heart that you see in, in other places. Like you can't have just parts of that ecosystem fully functioning. You need them all. And and building out the understanding and making yourself available to others uh, for, for, for a founder perspective, for instance, to help and guide and, and pay it back 
uh, and what you guys are doing with with the with the community is hugely helpful. Like it really really matters. Appreciate it, Evan, and and really really good. Uh, so if there's any VCs that are not speaking to to you yet and are listening to this. And if they can check these criteria, they should get in touch, right? Oh, and remember, do not ask for a Microsoft Teams or Zoom call. <laughs> that, 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 that is sort of like a, a big red flag, if I can put it bluntly. Yeah. So who would you like to see on the show? Or what topic do you want us to cover in another episode? Oh, very, very good question. Um, I think... Finding people that can inspire uh, Scandinavians or Nordic people to think big enough. And now we have some really exciting companies, right? Because that's the opportunity that is out there now. You don't have to scale through like I did in my earlier career, scale from Norway to Sweden and then go global, right? You have the chance now to go global from day one. right? And with companies such as Klarna and Spotify, and now you have companies like Plio. And like there are so many cool companies now coming up. Um that can share these success stories on, on if we only dare to dream big, because I think that is the biggest challenge that we have is that we are too modest compared to our American counterparts, right? Yeah. But everything is ready for us to build fantastic tech companies now in Europe. Like just, again, look at Hopin, look at Miro, uh, companies that are being built, uh, UiPath, for instance, that are being built now in Europe with European-based founders, etc., but we need to start playing the game on uh, an equal playing field. And we have a lot to learn on how to sell our ideas and, and, and sell um, our, our vision for what we want to do. One, one of my investors actually said to me one day that, Ivan, we need to grow your balls. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it was his way of saying, you need to think bigger. Don't let your constraints uh, stop you, right? Like you have a, a massive opportunity with the team here. Let's let's go for it. Yeah. And I can say we have Pleo in the pipeline. So uh, we're going to get there eventually. Very, very good. Very, very good. But all right. I mean, if, if you uh, come to think of a person, you can just uh, drop us an email or a message in the community chat so but um, great having you here avin really enjoyed our conversation thank you so much yeah we, we really enjoyed it thanks for having me although my week isn't over but this has been uh, very refreshing so thanks again for having me cool see you around thank you much appreciated take care now cheers bye all right uh, so this is kind of interesting because it's not always that we sort of tell each other what takeaways we have so it can always be the same and i said i don't think it's going to be the same so daniel what's your takeaway from the episode uh three norwegians are always so nice Num number one and and Irvin was definitely nice um uh, all jokes aside not that he wasn't nice he was super nice <laughs> um i have a couple of takeaways one is i think he reinforce it reinforces the fact again that the path to success is not always straightforward the important thing with these failures is like you know what do you do with these um, missteps how do you learn from that how do you integrate that into your business and and evolve and i think he had a couple of great examples there especially from his u.s trip um, and a, a second takeaway here was what he, he was wrapping up the, the episode with when he was referring to vcs and what type of competence they would need to have it's related to having some of these vcs help you find the right talent i think depending on where you are in on your journey that's such a key thing because having the right colleagues having the right people with you can make such a big impact on your growth journey thomas did i take one of yours 
I mean, we're a little bit close, but maybe I have another angle. Are you ready with yours? I mean, you had a number. You know what? To make it easy for you, I'll stop there. Okay, thank you. No, but I thought it was interesting. He mentioned when he came back from the US, he had three years that could be, you know, seen as a, a big failure. But it seems also like he had the backing. He had investors that really believed in him and in the company. And uh, yeah, it just seems that uh, there was a good relationship and understanding there. And also moving forward, talking about their um, point nine, their their investor, also seemed that you know it was a, a really good and trusting relationship. And also when he met Ingrid, uh, two people that that hit it off that, that had the same view of how to run a business and, and what the market looked like. So it's so much about relationships, uh, no matter what you do. So I think that's my takeaway. Yeah, and, and finding the right partners. Exactly. Swipe right at the right time. That's right. Excellent. Uh, I had a fantastic joke, but maybe that's not for everybody's ear. So on that note, Thank you so much for this time. We'll see you guys around. Are you going to post the joke in the Slack channel? Uh, I'm probably going to save it for one of the meetups. Okay, all right.